Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Sadly, this is what home sounds like for many of America's heroes. During this crisis, many veterans are living on the street, sleeping on nothing more than cardboard. You can help. Donate at cardboardtoheadboard.org. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and today we are heading to the racetrack as I am joined by veteran motorsports reporter for NASCAR on Fox, Jamie Little. Fresh off this week's announcement that she will be the first woman to call television play-by-play for a national racing series with the 2021 Arca Menard Series, Jamie talks about breaking barriers, how she fell in love with motorsports, the connection of storytelling, and so much more. She and I also bond over our love of rescue dogs and talk about the advocacy Jamie does for shelter pets, all while finding a balance between work and home. This episode is fun and inspiring, so let's get to it. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review, and don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. Jamie, thank you so much for joining me today on Get My Job. So good to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. I have to share, I'm, I'm very excited because I used to work at Fox Sports uh, as an intern and then right after college. And when I first started working there is when they first started with NASCAR. And I worked for a guy by the name of Bill Richards, and I did a lot of vlogging of footage on tires and all kinds of NASCAR oh things. Oh my gosh. But <laughs> spent many a day looking at tires, <laughs> footage of tires. But I always think fondly of it because it was new and it was exciting and it was so cool to be a part of it. So having you on today is even that much more special for me. Oh, that's awesome. And you understand the world of NASCAR a little bit. I do. I definitely do. Uh, so I, I, I've definitely kept up with it and paid attention, you know, all the way through because it just it's a little near and dear to my heart. So, awesome. so that was just an aside. Uh, but this is not about me. This is about you. And I would love to know when you first discovered your love of motorsports. I was quite young, actually. I was a little girl. I grew up in Lake Tahoe, California, and just the world, you know, is outside. You want to do everything outside and riding dirt bikes, your friends having little four-wheelers. I just loved it. And then when I turned about 14, we were then moving. uh, I had just moved to Las Vegas, and I met somebody that raced a a sport called Supercross. And I fell in love with the sport. I just thought it was the coolest thing. And I started hanging around with the guys. I was just a tomboy, just wanted to fit in with them and have fun riding dirt bikes. But I was so intrigued by their lifestyle and everything that they sacrificed, their bodies, their educations, everything to reach their goals. And I just thought, I want to share these stories. I want to tell about these people. And I realized quickly after reading magazines and stuff that nobody looked like me. There were no females broadcasting or no females in the magazines as journalists. And something just told me then, like, maybe I should pursue this. So I literally started when I was 19, 20 years old, when I actually started being a journalist in the the sport and fell in love with all of it. From there on, I never looked back. You mentioned telling stories, which obviously is so such an important part of what we do Um, beyond the play by play, etc. Telling stories really can be so fun. What is it about storytelling that appealed to you? 
I think it's just the connection that, that people have with athletes or, you know, anybody that's kind of in the limelight, you, especially in racing, I think that people pick a driver or a rider, if it's motocross or supercross, that is like you, and then you root for them. And you don't know about them and know their stories unless there's somebody in the middle telling you their story. Um, And I think that there's just something so amazing about that. And I love asking the questions. I realized that early that I guess I, I had a calm way about me that people would tell me early on that I was decent at asking questions. And, and that stuck with me. I think little compliments like that really help push you to reach your goals and, and push you to go for something. And, and I think that was a big part of it. So you have broken a number of barriers in your career. Uh, obviously, the first female pit reporter for the 2004 Indianapolis 500. Not that you don't know these things, but I want to make our audience know. Oh, make yeah. sure our audience knows the first female pit reporter for the Daytona 500. What were those experiences like, and how much? How much? It's like kind of a three-part question. What were the experiences like? Did you receive any pushback, and then how did you deal with that pushback? Yes. So um, my first Indy 500 was, it was overwhelming in different ways, but oh my gosh, it was so gratifying. Um, I wasn't even supposed to be part of the Indy 500 team. I was covering the IndyCar series back in 2004. And my bosses asked me at the time I was with ESPN and they asked me to go and cover the practices and qualifying sessions in Indy, but that was it. Well, time went on over the course of two weeks of covering all that my boss came to me and said, you're going to be on pit road for the 500 and you'll be the first woman to ever do it. Um, in the hundred, you know, at that point, I think we were about 90 years into the Indy 500. So that was pretty cool. But what really got me, you know, we were on ABC sports for that. We took a group photo and I think there was nine of us announcers, all men. And then me, I was not only the only female, I was the youngest and I look at that group now and what they've all accomplished. I mean, they are, they are veteran reporters and broadcasters that everybody had looked up to. I remember calling my mom the night before the 500 and saying, what have I gotten myself into? I'm at the point of no return. I'm in. I have to do this. And um, oh, my gosh, it was just the most incredible experience. And, and I, w- I was just hooked. So there was that moment that will always live with me about overcoming maybe your nerves and fear of doing something new. And then um, in 2014, I covered the Indy 500 for ESPN. And then I started in February at the Daytona 500 for Fox. So I was the first woman to cover both uh, flag to flag on broadcast um, that year. But I was not the first woman in the pits for the Daytona 500. Uh, did you face any pushback through that and from any male colleagues, from male fans? Or was it a pretty smooth situation? I think it was pretty smooth. I'm sure there were naysayers or, you know, those <laughs> those lifelong fans in IndyCar that they weren't used to seeing a woman, maybe didn't like it. And, and that's fine. And we still, there's people like that to this day. I mean, it doesn't have to be a gender thing. It could just be a preference on the way somebody speaks or, you know, the inflection or just the information. There's just different reasons that maybe you don't like hearing somebody. But I didn't have a whole lot of pushback. I know that when I first started covering that series, there was another broadcaster on the team that he said when he found out that they had hired me, he said, oh, I get it. This is Beauty and the Beast. And, and I knew <laughs> he wasn't too happy with the idea, but that really hasn't happened much in my career, thankfully. So going back to that and something you said a little earlier, um, I'm going to start with something you said earlier and, and then come back to this. You said 
you know, talking about overcoming nerves and the fear of doing something new. Were there any tools that you have to kind of deal with that, to calm yourself? Um, Is it calling your mom? Is it some sort of breathing or do you just jump right in and whatever will be, will be? Maybe something different. I I think what what it comes down to is knowledge is power. And I feel like nothing calms me like knowing my stuff. So I'll just jump in even more, study a little bit more, even if it's things that I won't use, just knowing I'm that well prepared just gives me the power to go out and do it and do it confidently. I found that that always works for me, just studying, working hard, always being over prepared for each situation, each race. And of course, I have my husband now that I talk to him constantly. He knows about all the ups and downs, the frustrations, the happiness. He, he shares in all that with me. So he's my rock. So I'm very lucky to have him to fall back on in those moments. And going back to what you said about the broadcasters that I see, this is Beauty and the Beast. And you said something very interesting. Also, sometimes it's inflection. There's certain things people don't like. You know, this podcast is meant to highlight women in the sports industry, but also to give tools to young women who want to be in the sports industry. How do you deal with that, whether it be on social media or just when you're out working? How do you deal with the people who say things that are just kind of just to be mean? Well, you know that that comes, that's just the nature of it. I mean, especially with social media, thank goodness we didn't have this when we were younger, right? I mean, it just, people can say whatever they want when they're hiding behind a screen. Nobody knows who they are. Um, It's unfair, but it goes with the territory. You're going to get a lot of accolades. You know, the last couple of days for me since this announcement, I mean, so many people are so happy for me and it's amazing to read, but I've been there, done that long enough that everything balances out. So there are going to be people that are envious or jealous or have a hard time seeing me succeed or maybe don't like my style and don't think I'm the right person for it. I don't know. But you do read those comments sometimes and it's frustrating. But, you know, honestly, to me, when you put something out there, you write it, you put it out there in the world, it spreads. It spreads the energy of that. And I think when you retweet something mean, like a lot of people do, um, it just, it shares in that negativity. More people see it, it gives them more power. So when I read that stuff, I just put it away. I try to delete it from the post because it has nothing to do with anything. Um, and I, I'm just a positive person. So I have a really good way of blocking those types of things out too. Well, you mentioned the announcement and you are the play-by-play, play-by-play announcer for the ARCA. And I, I'm sure I'm going to mess up how to pronounce this, but the Arca Menard series. Did I do yes, it right? You got oh it. My gosh. I'm so excited. <laughs> See, you, you talked about preparation. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Right there. Um, so congratulations on that. That is so exciting. Uh, and I know you've done some play by play before. So uh, you spoke of preparation. So how do you prepare for your play by play duties? And how does that preparation differ from hosting and pit reporting? Yeah, I've actually, I did two practice sessions for the NASCAR Xfinity series from the booth as play-by-play and that's it. So I really haven't done much. I did it enough to know that it was something that really intrigued me and I, I liked it a lot more than I ever anticipated. And when it comes to preparation, that's a really good question because I haven't done that first race yet. So I'm not sure the things that I'm going to want and need or the things that I can get rid of. But I am a reporter at heart. I'm a pit reporter at heart. And there is a way that I gather my information. There's types of information that I look for that maybe the next reporter doesn't. Um, So I will continue to do that. I'll be talking with the teams, the drivers, collecting as much as I can 
But now the tough part, I think, for my first race in Daytona is kind of taking off that reporter hat and putting it on my analyst, setting him up, knowing the answer, you set them up so that they can elaborate on those types of things. You know, I want to add to it. I want it to be flowy. I want it to be conversational, but I don't want to just be a reporter throwing out all these different stories because that's now the analyst's job. When you when you did the the couple of play-by-play things before, were you excited about that? Were you nervous? Were you, as you said, just intrigued? How did that play out? Yeah, I no think, it was, yeah, I think <laughs> it, it was honestly all of the above. Anytime that your boss at a network will ask you if you want to do something, I always say yes. That's just my nature. I say yes all the time. I will work around the clock. I am so dedicated and loyal and hardworking. And that's what got me this opportunity. So I think in that situation, it was like, heck yeah, I want to try this. It'll be so much fun. It was nerve wracking. You know, it's just a different style when you come on the air, like for Daytona, that's what I'm thinking about. How am I going to bring us on the air? You know, what's my style going to be? What's my flow going to be? I do know that if I am myself, I will make people enjoy their their time watching us. I'm high energy. I'm passionate about what I'm talking about. And I know what I'm talking about. So hopefully that carries through like it usually does. And people enjoy the conversation and they enjoy the newness of having that female there talking with the male. You said you always say yes, which is something we talk about a lot on this podcast, being open to opportunity, saying yes to opportunity. Is that always how you've been? Was that a little bit of a learned behavior or is it just who you are? It's just who I am. I'm just, you know, one of those go-getters and and I just, I love opportunities. I cannot sit still. That's probably what my husband dislikes the most about me. <laughs> I am not the wife that sits and watches movies at night. It's like, I'm go, go, go. And then when I'm done, I click off and go to bed. <laughs> High energy and done. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's just who I am. I love experiences. I love opportunities. I love making memories. That That's the kind of mom I am. It's the kind of friend and wife I am. And that's how I've always been with my career as well. Let's talk about being a mom a little bit. Um, I I wanted to ask you how you approach balance, even though I got to be honest, I kind of hate that word because I don't know if there's any such thing yeah. as true balance all of the time, but how you approach that between your professional life and your personal life. And then I want to talk a little bit about how that's potentially changed during COVID. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm actually looking at this one thing I have hanging in my office. It's an article that was written in a newspaper in Las Vegas, where I used to live. And the title says, New Mother Balances Tug of Home and Pit Road. And that that always stood out to me because it really was, you know, it was all about me and all about the career. And then the family came along, kids came along. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is a lot to juggle and to give your 100%. You know, I want to give 100% to work, but then you have to give 100% to your family. So something's got to give. Somebody's going to get shortchanged. And it's usually not the job because the job isn't all the time. My career, you know, isn't every weekend of the year, every day of the week, all year long. So you have to find that balance that works for you. And it's not always 50 50. You know, like you said, it's hard to find that true balance. But um, I'm filled mostly when I know that I'm, I'm spending my time equally. And when it comes to COVID, oh my gosh, it, it, it's crazy to say, but it has been a true blessing for me and my family. This is time spent with my kids that I've never had before. I mean, I miss out on a lot, obviously traveling Thursday to Sunday, sometimes Monday, half of the year, and you miss a lot. So I have been with them day in and day out and my husband, and it, it's been incredible But then at the same time, you spend so much time with them, 
that when you have to get on a plane again, it's like, oh man, I know how much I'm going to miss now when I'm gone for a few days. So it's always the tug. I think that there's that guilt that you have. I Apparently it runs in all women that are business women and, and balance being moms. It's just, you have to learn to live with it and give your best in all ways. And, and it's, it's tiring. It, it takes a lot of energy to keep it up on all sides. So again, that's where my husband comes in and helps balance all of that. And was there an adjustment in figuring out, okay, I can give, I'm going to have to give hundred percent to work at this time, which means I'm giving a less percent at home. But in three weeks, it's going to be 100% at home and I won't have to worry so much about work. Was that an adjustment? Was that, or was it just kind of, again, like you've done with everything else, you kind of jumped right in? Yeah. And, you know, I still go through that. Usually when we go to Daytona, I know I'm going to be gone probably seven to eight days. And this year I did Westminster Dog Show, went straight to Daytona. I was gone for nine days. That's a lot for for me because usually I'm gone a solid three days from them. But, you know, it breaks your heart. But at the same time, when I'm away, I can focus on work 100%. It's the ideal situation because we all know when you try to work at home and you have kids running in and out like I do right now in the office, it's hard. It's hard to give your your 100% focus to something. And I feel for everyone having to do this and juggle, especially when you're making national TV on a Zoom in your office and your kids and your four dogs are running around. It's stressful. <laughs> that is stressful. I I have two dogs, uh, and I definitely want to talk about dogs. We're going to talk about that next, since since you brought it up. Awesome. Uh, but I have I have two dogs, and they have made um, some appearances on our, our zooms. And I cover the 49ers, and one of my dogs made a appearance on a zoom with Jimmy Garoppolo, and he was very good sport about it. But Aww. she had she had plenty to say before I could get out what I needed to say. But that's just you know that's part of what we're all dealing with right now, and yes. <laughs> it, it's certainly been. It's been an adjustment. So you mentioned the Westminster Dog Show, but you and I also share a love of rescue animals uh, for whom you've done so much work. Can you talk about where the passion for that began? Yeah, I think that's just, again, growing up in Lake Tahoe, being an outdoors kid, I just, I had an affinity for animals. Just anything with those little faces, I just, they they spoke to me and, and that was my passion. I ended up getting a horse that was a baby and I trained him and worked at a ranch and we had... I mean, the ranch, there were always dogs having puppies and kittens there. And I just loved animals. And it wasn't until, gosh, I think 2014, when I really started having some downtime. It was 2015, actually, because when I went from ESPN to Fox, Fox, I only worked half of the year. And it gave me so much free time to be a mom and then to do charity work. And I realized right away, I wanted to get set up with an animal foundation or, or um, a shelter. And right away, I jumped in and, and it took off. That was it. I um, do everything I can to help raise awareness for rescue animals. I do something called a shelter surprise. So at a lot of the stops that we go to for NASCAR, I'll find a shelter and I'll see their, their needs list and I'll show up with a bunch of things to donate. And then I get a tour and I showcase some of the dogs and post them. So people realize in that area where their shelter is and how great some dogs are. And a lot of people don't even realize that that exists around them. Mm -hmm. So I love doing that. And um, it's been really rewarding. That's that's where my passion is. And, and as you know, I mean, we talk about the balance word, but you can only have so much good, you know, so much attention when you're in the spotlight and you're a reporter, a broadcaster, it's, you've got to filter that somewhere to balance it. And for me, it's it's dogs and it's kids. I love helping out shelters um, here in Indiana. We do a lot with them. And it's just, it makes it all worthwhile. It, and it makes you feel balanced. 
those are the the causes close to my heart as well. Uh, my dream in life is to one day open a dog rescue, but essentially it could be like a forever home for the dogs yes. if it needs to be, but like a, a ranch where people live there and take care of them. It's it's a dream in life. I would have all the dogs if I could. Could you give our listeners, you know, maybe some organizations you've worked with where they could donate if they are so inclined or where they could find a new, a new doggy? So um, Best Friends, it's a national organization. You could donate there. They have, they do incredible work, but I think they have offices all over, but maybe closest to you is Los Angeles. Um, the Animal Foundation is Nevada's largest uh, shelter. They, they work with the city, so they have to take in every animal. And it doesn't matter if it's a horse, a dog. They are adopting out about 90 animals a day. That's how wow. many animals they get there. So that's where I was volunteering and working and, and got the bug to, uh, to truly do this. And, and then um, here in Indiana, I work with the um, Humane Society for Hamilton County, but they're, they're all over. I just say, you know, if you are looking for a dog or you can't have a dog, you could go down and be a volunteer, walk dogs, um, you know, help people understand. I loved doing that when people would come in and look at a dog. And if you knew about it, you could help sell the dog, you know, you could help tell them how great it is and what its characteristics are like. I mean, there's so much you can do to give back. It doesn't have to just be monetary and it doesn't have to be adopting a dog. They're just, they're just the best. I just love dogs. Such anybody who knows know. me knows I, I, I love, I said to a friend the other night as a joke, I was like, you may not have heard this about me, but I really like dogs. She was like, no, what? You dogs? <laughs> um, so I was, I was, excited. I love it. Looks very excited to read that about you. We've had quite a few dog lovers on this podcast. So it makes me happy. I don't know if you're familiar with Alana Rizzo. Um, she's coast, uh, she covers the Dodgers for Spectrum Sports in LA. She does a lot with rescue dogs and Sarah Spain, big into dogs. We're, we're a very dog-friendly podcast, if there is such a thing. Um, I love it. We all stick together, you know? <laughs> exactly. We gravitate, gravitate yes. towards each other. So I want to go back a little bit towards uh, the beginning of your career and when you first started this. And we touched on this a little bit, but I'd like to get a little more specific. What is a criticism you received early on in your career that was difficult to take at the time, but really helped to shape you as a reporter? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, ESPN was really good about kind of training us and critiquing us. Once a year, we'd go back to Connecticut and we'd go through like this art of interviewing class. Oh, my gosh. It was so helpful. Um, but criticism, I mean, just little little things, you know, and like don't don't stick your face so much in the shot or calm down a little bit or <laughs> things like that. I mean, I really haven't had, I'm, I'm pretty much a good judge of, of what I'm doing. And I know if I'm using the same word, like we get carried away, you know, a, a catch word. Um, I try to, I try to stop those things. Um, but I sell critique pretty well. I wouldn't say that there's really one big thing that made a turn, but I'll, I'll, you know, honestly, when I first started live announcing, I mean, you're just naturally, you're loud and in the microphone, um, somebody had said like, I'm tired of hearing this girl scream. Well, you know, I was a live announcer, but it also made me realize like as a woman, you have to be careful about the tone, the pitch of your voice. And I don't have a high pitch voice anyway, but still that's something that's always carried with me. And I'm thinking about it doing play by play, you know, when they're coming down to the checkered flag and they're wheel to wheel, the excitement level, you can't get girly. You've got to keep it in check, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That does make sense. That makes a lot of sense. 
When you talk about the art of interviewing and, and you said earlier, there are certain pieces of information that you look for and that maybe another reporter doesn't, would you have, you know, two or three key things that you could share with our listeners that you always look for as a reporter? Um, as far as like types of information that yes. you want to get out of somebody? Yes. Yeah. I, you know, when I, when I talk to people, I mean, obviously it depends on what you're covering, but I love to find out something different, maybe something off the track or something behind the scenes of everything that's going on. Tell me something that this week that's, you know, happened with you or, you know, I like connections and, and making or giving people at home a reason to root for somebody. I want to show who they are outside, like talking about dogs, you know, mm -hmm. something that's passionate uh, for them that they really love doing that makes them happy. That usually triggers something when you interview people. Um, when you want to talk about things that they are very passionate about, for a lot of race car drivers, it is racing. That's all they want to talk about. Um, but yeah, I try to get that kind of information and just connect with somebody and let them know that I really do care. I'm not just there to get your soundbite and move on. You know, oh, I did my job. I really try to connect. And I think that's one of the keys to to longevity here as a reporter that it's all about the relationships. We've always heard that, but it truly is. And it carries you through. And I have no doubt that those relationships I've built and the trust that you have to build up as a reporter has kept me going this long. And in terms of connection, I just think it's important to point this out too, for those listening who are starting a career, you can't fake it. You have to really connect and really care because people can tell the difference. And so absolutely. You you have to be genuine. Absolutely. If you could give our listeners one piece of advice for starting a career in your field, what would it be? Well, I always say that if it is racing, you know, or mm -hmm. maybe it's snowboarding or maybe it's football, if that's what you really want to do, that's what you're passionate about. You need to start wherever you can, like go to the local dirt track or your local track where you live and just offer up your services. I will announce, I'll do this. I'll go out and gather nuggets, news for you guys and, and do the research behind it. Do whatever you can. I paid my dues for, I think, three years before I even got a paycheck because that was not important to me. I was going to college and I just palled around with this guy who shot stuff for ESPN from Moto World. And I got to be the one off camera asking the questions. That's the best thing that you can do. If you could tag along with somebody and you can write the questions, ask the questions, you're getting in front of people, but you're not on camera. That is the best way I think to learn. And you know what, for me, I got a job being a live announcer that helped me so much when it came to live television and thinking on your feet, there's little steps like that, that I think are really important to succeeding at each level. Is there a misstep that you see women make as they're trying to break into the sports industry? I think a misstep is that they see the stars. They want to be a star. They want to be a celebrity. They want all the attention on them. And that's not what it's about. That's what you're rewarded with when you put in the hard work and you make it. Um, there's so many women now. It is so competitive. I mean, everybody wants to be a broadcaster, right? It seems like everybody wants to be a sports re reporter or broadcaster of some sort. And you have to stand out. You have to be different. You can't use sex to sell. Um, that, that, that has sailed. That ship has sailed a long time ago. You have to be genuine. You have to be a hard worker. You have to outwork the person next to you. Uh, be authentic and don't be afraid of doing something that you feel is below you to, like I said, I'll go out and get the notes and be the researcher if that's what it takes. Um, 
I mean, I still do some jobs like that just to keep me in it because I truly love it so much. Um, but I, I would say that, that that's probably the best advice, you know, when you're trying to make your career and not break it. It's, it's great advice. And I have uh, young women reach out to me a lot and I'll talk to them about, you know, where to start. And they're saying, I don't know where to start. I'll say, go to your local radio station, go to your, tel- whatever you can do. And most people are receptive to that, but there are people that really just want to start, you know, on Fox or on yes. ESPN. And, and that's, you know, that's not how it works. And I think the thing that's so important to remember is even the people that you see that day on the sideline, that may be the first time you've seen them. That's not their first job. That's not the first thing they did to get there. And Absolutely. It's, it's important to to remember that. Um, will you take us, this is one of my favorite parts of the podcast, will you take us through a day in the life of Jamie Little? <laughs> so I'll take you through maybe a typical day at the racetrack. So Go say um, NASCAR Cup race, it's the big race. So like the Daytona 500 that's coming up in February, that's our Super Bowl. So we're backwards from you guys in the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> so we start with our biggest race of the year first. Um, so the morning of the Daytona 500, you get up at the crack of dawn, you get to the track early to beat the rush. Hopefully we're going to have a lot of fans there. We'll see what, what um, you know, kind of mandates are going on. But um, you try to beat the traffic, you get in there early, and we'll have a production meeting, and then we'll have a NASCAR competition meeting. So you get those meetings out of the way. You try to grab some food when you're running from place to place. Then you go infield. And then, so at that point, I'll know who my drivers are for that day. So say that there's three of us reporters for the day, we'll break it up. So each one of us has, you know, 12, 13 cars to fill out the, you know, the 40 car field. So from there, I'll go into the garage and I go find my crew chiefs and I go up into the haulers. I talk to them about their weekend, how it's been going. Then I'll talk about the day. I get all the information, storylines that I can for each of my cars. So that takes a couple of hours. Then I go back and I, I write my pre-race stuff. So we'll do pre-race interviews or any other types of things that they want to do for that, that uh, race day show. And then you get out to the grid and we get, you know, all suited up and our mics on and everything. And we'll, uh, we'll be out there about a, a half hour before we're on the air. And then we're on the air for the Daytona 500 for probably five hours, usually, mm-hmm. um, when you count in the uh, pre-race. And, and then you have post-race after you're covering everything. You hope that there's not a rain delay because that tends to make your days and nights very, very long. Mm-hmm. And then we'll get off the air. Um, I don't remember when it is this year, 4 or 5 p.m. And it is a sprint usually to get to the airport if you can make a flight that night. And then you get in 11 or 12 at night. You kiss the babies and hop in bed and <laughs> make up for uh, all that, that lost energy the next day. Well, you mentioned a rain delay. Can you think of any race that you covered that had a rain delay or anything really that's because I think people maybe not don't know as much about racing as you do, or I do from watching all those tires. Uh, but I observed <laughs> that a day of like, you know, various mishaps and, and things you had to cover. Oh yeah. I've covered, I mean, we had it all at the Daytona 500 last year. Unbelievable. So it was one of the highlights of my career. I don't care what side of the fence you're on when it comes to politics, but the president of the United States, Donald Trump, uh, flew air force one into Daytona He wanted to be there and address all of the drivers. That hadn't happened in many, many years that where a sitting president actually came to the race. And I was asked to interview him. So I had to go through all the briefings with um, all of his secret service. It was 
the most incredible experience. And then he and his wife, Melania came out. It was all like down to the second, everything was mapped out. The snipers are on the roofs. I mean, it was unbelievable. So we're at the front of the grid. I do the interview. It's an incredible moment. People are so excited that this is happening. Plus it's the Daytona 500. So he, they paced the field um, basically to start the race. Off goes the president. Air Force One is flying out as the race starts. Amazing. 20 minutes later, the rain comes in and it washes everything out. So all of that, I mean, our ratings were huge at that point and the rain came in and it literally shut us down. So we had to come back to race the next day. So we have this great race going on. It goes into the night. We're in, you know, under the lights at that point and the finish line. We have one of the most spectacular wrecks we've seen, and Ryan Newman is involved, and we don't know at this point if he's been killed or not. I mean, he's unconscious, and I have to do the winner's interview. So Denny Hamlin goes to Victory Lane. I meet him there, and I have to tell him, we don't know what the condition is of Ryan. So just so you know, keep it toned down. It's not a big celebration right now. So that's an example of where things can go wrong. (laughs) And then on the other side where it's like everything is amazing and the energy is like, you can't describe it. And Ryan ended up being fine. He ended up being fine. He uh, was knocked unconscious for a while, but he, um, no broken bones. Amazing. He uh, walked away, walked out of the hospital. I think it was two days later with both of his girls holding his hands. So it was incredible. It was the perfect way to end it, but it, it was very scary for all of us that night. Well, and you bring up something really important because this happens, you know, in racing, but of course it happens in football. There are terrible injuries that happen. And I think it's so important as a reporter to know your various levels um, and how to handle a situation. And I think that's an important skill that's important for budding reporters to learn. Absolutely. And, you know, that's one of those things I don't think about automatically when you ask about, you know, keys to telling people as they're coming up. Mm -hmm. That is a huge one. And I remember early in my career, because I covered the X Games for 13 years, X Games, we all know, I mean, you see horrific injuries, every single X Games, I'm reporting Mm -hmm. on broken this broken that, you know, it's it's incredible, you know, he was knocked out, I reported on somebody, gosh, I think it was 2012, maybe. two brothers racing, you know, they're doing freestyle motocross on their, um, on their jet ski or their, um, snowmobiles. And this one guy crashed and was carried off. So he's over my shoulder. I'm on camera talking about like his brother told me he hit his head. He's up They're helping him walk off. It looks to be okay, but we're not sure he's going to go for further evaluation. He died the next day. And I mean, those are just moments that, that right there, when you, you have to be so careful about going on camera and talking about somebody being okay, I said he hit his head. This is exactly what I was told, and he's going in for further evaluation. You can never assume they're going to be fine. He's getting helped off. You don't know what those internal injuries are. And, and that was, I mean, unfortunately for a lot of us, we have to learn as we go. Mm-hmm. But tone is so big, and information and accuracy is key. You know, it makes me think a little bit of what you said about it's not about the attention and it's stories like that. And that brings that home a little bit. You have a job to do. You're reporting. It's not about being famous. It's not about the attention. It's about telling the stories and sharing information. And the rest of that might may or may not come later. Absolutely. You do it because you truly love to share the stories. And it's just one of those things that it's just happens to be television and people watch it. And, you know, it's just what we do as, as humans, we kind of 
put people on television on pedestals. And, and that's, that's just something you have to be okay with going in to know that you're going to get all these accolades, but you also need to realize that you're also going to get slammed and criticized. And it all goes along with the job. But as long as you're there for the right reasons, it's your passion and you love doing it, then nothing will stop you. And before I let you go, because I think that is an, an excellent place to end this part of the podcast, it is, of course, time for Five Fun Facts. So, Jamie, if you are ready, I will present Five Fun Facts with Jamie Little. All right, Jamie, what is your favorite moment in sports? <laughs> That is such a hard one. There's so many, but of course I have a very good short-term memory. So <laughs> I'm going to go back to just a couple of weeks ago, uh, the final race for NASCAR. It was in Phoenix and we saw seven time Jimmy Johnson, one of the most amazing champions and people you'll ever meet saying goodbye to a full-time, um, you know, ride in NASCAR. Last time he'll ever drive the 48, the iconic number for him. Um, saying goodbye. And at the same time, at the end of the night, the end of the race, it's Chase Elliott, 24 years old, who wins the championship. He's Jimmy Johnson's teammate. And they literally, I guess you could say, pass the torch from seven time to the new face of NASCAR. And then when he gets out, Chase Elliott is is the son of a very well-loved champion of the sport, Bill Elliott. And to see Bill get emotional like he did, and then their owner, Rick Hendrick there, knowing that they had all been apart, the owner and the drivers haven't been able to really hang out or talk in months. Rick Hendrick hadn't seen his drivers since March because he's high risk. He was, all, he was there. And to see the emotion and the love, the tears, that was a major moment in sports, in my opinion. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Very special. Sounds very, very special. It was. What is your life motto? It sounds so cheesy, but I would say just, I live life to the fullest. I've said it since I was a little girl that I'm all about experience and taking on challenges and saying yes to everything and just trying everything. Don't get stuck in your ways. And that's why you get opportunities and outwork the next person is another good motto. I like that. I like that one a lot. What's your go-to workout? I have a non-traditional workout. I work out with sandbags uh, from a company called Brute Force. My husband and I work out in the garage. They're literally sandbags meant for working out. And there's a daily workout of the day. So we do that. It's high interval training. Um, Our workouts are 20 to 30 minutes max. And I'm in the best shape that I've ever been in. And I've been doing it about three years now. So it's pretty awesome. People are always intrigued. And I know I've sold a lot of darn bags. And I don't get anything for it. But I believe in the company. So it's really great. That's so cool. Oh, I want to check that out for sure. That sounds Yeah, amazing. you'll see on my social. Some okay. of my, I, I post the workouts every so often. I feel like that's just, <laughs> I don't know. It's weird posting yourself working out, but I know people do get motivated, especially through COVID. Like, what can I do? And this is such a fun thing for men and women to do in your own house or your garage or wherever you can. And we'll tag you on social, but just for those listening right now, it's at Jamie Little TV, correct? Yes, ma'am. Okay. I got it. So you guys can find the sandbag workout there. That sounds super cool. Yeah. Um, what is your go-to coffee order? Almond milk latte. When I'm on the road, going to Starbucks is just, it's one of those kind of luxuries that I just love to start my day with. So I always find a Starbucks on my way to the racetrack, and that's what I order every time. And a book every woman should read. Oh, gosh. That one is hard. You know. 
Megan Kelly, I am a big fan of hers for many different reasons. Um, but she wrote a book called Settle for More. And it's about that, you know, a woman in journalism, a woman in television. And I think things that she's gone through, pushing through, not backing down, no matter the criticism, that book is really good for, I think, any women, you know, in our positions. Fantastic. Jamie, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a lot of fun. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's really fun to, to talk to somebody else that understands that world. And hopefully a lot of your listeners will understand it and hopefully get inspired. Oh, I think they will. I think they will for sure. And if you guys are inspired, which I imagine you all are, please make sure to leave us a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. And I will talk to everybody next week. Bye, y'all. Sports Opinions with a Side of Satire. We're the First and Tens, a weekly show delivering the spiciest opinions on football, life, and especially each other. And we can do that because we've been best friends for so long. I'm Amy. And I'm Jasmine. First and Tens will bring you sports from the female perspective while also injecting pop culture, fashion, and music into our daring dialogue. We're saucy, edgy, and most of all, we, we think, think we're, we're funny, funny AF. First and Tens, light on stats, heavy on sass. Follow us at firstintenspodcast.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.